You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. If you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles. They would love to give you one. Uh, How many of you like weddings? Yeah? How many of you uh, love a good banquet, a good barbecue, a good meal? How many of you love being with people that you love and have fun with? Yeah, these are... These are the things that God has given us that make life great. And can I tell you something? That is a little sliver of heaven. That's just a little sliver of heaven. Today we're going to be looking at a message titled, The Great Wedding Feast. And Jesus is going to give us a parable uh, to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Parables, uh, Jesus spoke in parables, and a parable is simply this. It's a story that Jesus would give us to help us understand how God's kingdom and human life interact together. It's an earthly story with a more profound heavenly meaning. And Jesus here telling us three days before he goes to the cross. I want you to kind of get your mind around this. He's going to be going to the cross in three days and he knows it. And he's speaking truth to us to get us, uh, you know, pouring out his heart the last few days of his life to, to help us understand his plan and to help us understand his love. Today we're going to look at this parable and it's going to teach us, it's going to say, uh, show us some things. One, it's going to show us how God's pursuing love never quits coming after us. It's also going to show us the danger of being self-focused. The danger of being self-important and the danger of being self-righteous. The danger of being too busy in our daily life that we don't have time to really think and meditate and ponder of the very reason for our existence. The danger of being so busy that we don't even hear the small still voice of God that is calling us to himself. And to illustrate that, Jesus gives us a fascinating story, a fascinating parable. And we'll pick it up in Matthew 22. We're going through verse by verse in the Bible. If you're joining us, welcome. Uh, Verse by verse, we're in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Stick your finger on it and give me a big amen if you're there. All right, here we go. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by a parable. This is the third parable uh, that he spoke Uh, to the religious leaders, to Israel, uh, on a similar genre. All three parables, a similar genre. The other two we covered the week before the baptism. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. All right, let's break that down. Who's the king? God. And who's the son? Jesus. Let's look at it again. The kingdom of heaven, or God's kingdom is like a king God who arranged a a marriage for his son, Jesus. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Who is that that he called to the wedding that wasn't willing to come? Jesus. 
Israel, the Jewish people. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And here he knows that he is going to be rejected and they're going to yell out, crucify him. He came to them and they did not receive him. They were not willing to come to the wedding. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, that's Israel. See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted cattle are killed. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Oh, he spared no expense. Come, everything is here. I have put on a, just a huge feast. Look at verse 5. But they made light of it, and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Who are the servants that we're talking about? The prophets, the messengers, the pastors, those proclaiming God's truth, those and saying, come to the banquet. They treated them spitefully. It's interesting right now, we are living in a day where our nation is turning away from the living God and saying, we don't want to hear that message. We don't like that message. And they spitefully treat those who want to proclaim biblical truth. We don't want it in our schools. We don't want it in our city. We don't want it in our courtroom. We don't want it anywhere. Just, and they persecute it. It's interesting to me that Jesus chose to convey the story of our redemption to him as a great wedding. And not just any wedding, not a backyard wedding, not a low-budget wedding, but a giant, wealthy, royal, pull-out-all-the-stops, Prince William, Kate Middleton, uh, all-the-pomp-and-circumstance wedding, right? I mean, like, deluxe, a royal feast. If you are new to the Bible, uh, I want you to know God speaks of himself over and over in scripture as being a lover of our souls. Amazing to consider. Just amazing to consider. I want you to think about this. Think about the universe and how big it is. How vast it is. I mean, we uh, it's ever-expanding universe. Black holes that are bigger than the earth. I mean, things we can't even comprehend. Do you know the sun? The earth is 8,000 miles in diameter. The sun is so big, it'll hold... I hope I'm getting this right. I'm doing this off of memory, not notes. That's dangerous. But it'll hold 1.1 million earths can fit into the sun. Think how big the universe is. Planet Earth, by the way, one of the few planets that has a clear atmosphere. Most atmospheres of planets are cloudy. Planet Earth, a clear atmosphere. Why? So you can see out that you might observe the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Day after day, they are speaking. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. There is no speech nor language. There's not a person on earth who hasn't heard their story. Their line has gone out through all the world and their words to the ends of the earth. Psalm 19. 
God has put us in this planet with a clear atmosphere that we might look into the heavens and go, wow. And here's what is mind-boggling to me. As big and as vast as God's glorious universe is, God made all of it to do one thing and one thing only, to reveal his glory that he might draw you to himself. Wow. Just amazing. God chose to create you for himself. Out of all of God's creation, it's to reveal his glory so that you might come to him. You are what he is in love with. I can't fathom why. No offense. Uh, I can't fathom why for myself. But I believe it by faith and I experience it by walking with him. His love for us is uncaused by us. His love for us is beyond comprehension. And if you are new to the Bible, this infinite, sovereign, omnipotent God speaks of those who believe in Jesus, not as his subjects who must do his bidding, or as his minions that have no value. There's just, you know, eight billion of them and they drive me nuts. No, no, no. Not even as his mere peasants that he steps on and uses. No, he speaks of us with a passionate love. And all through scripture, he speaks of us this way. Here Jesus is calling us his bride. He is the bridegroom. We are his bride. In the book of Revelation, he calls us his son. He calls himself our, you know, our father. Jesus taught us the same thing. Over and over in Zechariah, he calls us the apple of his eye. In Deuteronomy, he calls us his special treasure. In uh, uh, Revelation, he speaks of us not only as a son, but also as his bride. In Deuteronomy, again, he calls us his inheritance. Can you imagine that? God says, you are my inheritance. You're what I want to inherit out of this universe that I created. Wow. Amazing to ponder and to consider. In all of God's vast and glorious creation, God has chosen you for himself. And that is the purpose of this parable that he's teaching us today. And I know that we live in a world and our flesh and sin and even Satan himself uh, putting a blindness on, on the world. We live in a world that wants to hide us from this truth. The world wants to tell us that we're mere animals that what? Evolved from slime. That somehow uh, we just, uh, there was a big bang and out of that big bang somehow all this eventually came out and and you are just an animal. And if you're just an animal, if you have no other purpose, well, then you might as well just live to gratify all your animalistic appetites. Just live to gratify your flesh. That's why you exist. Nothing else matters. And he who dies with the most toys wins. And you might as well just get all the sex you can and all the money you can and all the uh, parting you can and all the stuff you can because in the end, it's over. What a lie. What a deception. 
And Jesus here calling us, reminding us, saying, no, 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 that's not what it is at all. I have created you to bring you to myself. I want to draw you to myself. I am calling for you. And I tell you what, if our tired, weary souls could only begin to grasp the depth of God's love for us, we would be transformed. And something supernatural happens the moment we begin to understand this truth. We quit living for fleshly things and we start living for something far greater. And our life begins to have incredible worth and incredible purpose. Last week, we saw 33 people say, I want to die to the things of the flesh that I might live to the things of God. That's the picture of baptism. And that is what Jesus is calling us to. And so it shows us something that we're pursued. Here we are. Uh, here we are in church once again. And what's happening? The message is going out. God is sending his servants out. He's proclaiming, come to the wedding feast. And here we are yet again. And the message is going out. Come to me. Come to me. God proclaiming to his love to us once more. And so this story, this parable, it reveals uh, if God is the father, Jesus is the son, and he goes out into the highways and byways and says, come to the wedding feast, what does the parable reveal? Well, it reveals this, God wants us to respond to his love. He's looking for a response. I remember when I met my wife some 39 years ago, 18 years old. I met my wife. There she was. And I said, hey, can I have your phone number? <laughs> and guess what I wanted from her? Yes, I would like that. Would you like to go on a date? Yes, I would like that. I was pursuing and I was looking for what? A response. Why? Why? Because love wants one thing. A genuine response from the heart. That's what love wants. It wants a response that says, ooh, I understand how you care for me, and I like how you care for me. I want to respond to that love. And God is the pursuer. We, in the story, are his bride. Uh, he has messengers that go out, and he just says, hey, come, come. There's a giant banquet. I'm calling you to it. Uh, amazing story. This is the story that Jesus chooses to tell us. Three days before he goes to be crucified. Amazing love. God wants us to respond to his love. And it's so important that we understand his heart in that. He gives us an incredible plot twist in the story. The messengers go out. The message. Hey, the riches of heaven are yours in Jesus Christ. I've... the. The, the fatted calf is killed. I've put on a, this isn't a cheap wedding, man. This is like a glorious affair. Come. And there's a surprising plot twist. What's the, what's the plot twist? They don't want to come. They don't want to come. Are you kidding? Look at verse 5 again. Uh, verse, uh, well, let's look at verse 3 again. He sent his servants out and he calls those who were invited to the wedding and they're not willing to come. And look at verse 4. Uh, I love this about God. If you invited someone and you just pulled out all the stops and they said, I don't want to go to that guy. I don't want to, are you kidding? I don't want to go there. What would you do? I'd say, no soup for you. 
Hey, you hurt my feelings, man. No, I just forget them. I can't believe it. That's human love. This is what God's love does. God, God's love says, look at this. Again, again, he sent out other servants, calling them to beckon them to come. I am so glad it says that. You know why? Because the first time God called me, guess what I did? I said, no, thank you. And the second time God called me, guess what I did? Too busy. And I'm so thankful God called me again. And this is what he does. Again, he sent out other servants, verse 4, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. Look at his, look at his, look at the imagery he sets for us. My oxen are prepared for you. My fatted cattle are killed for you. All things are ready. I've spared no expense. I've done this thing to the nines. Come to the wedding. Come and celebrate and dine with your creator. What, a, what an offer. But they made light of it and they went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. God sends more servants out to proclaim his divine invitation. And the servants that God sent in the Bible, what are they? What are the servants? What do they represent? All of what? All of the prophets in the Old Testament. Do you know from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, from the beginning of time, God has been proclaiming this message. Jesus would teach, you don't love me because you're, such, because you're so good. You love me. Here's why you love me. Why? Because I loved you. I poured all of my love out on you. I made this glorious world, its beauty and it, it's all of its splendor for you to just sit and ponder and to lay down at night looking up under the stars going, Lord, how big you must be. And yet I feel something in me, you calling me to yourself. I know you want me to walk with you. Incredible. And God sent prophets throughout the ages to, to proclaim this message. From Abel all the way to Malachi, God is sending out his message. And then last of all, he sends his son. God himself becomes a man. We have the incarnate God. God becoming a man to, to reveal to us his great love for us. And who is he? His name is Jesus. He is so profound, so wise, that he's changed all of human history. Everything either points to him or from him, uh, either B.C. or A.D. I mean, just the whole universe revolves around him. He wants us to respond. And he sends out all of his messengers. Today, here I am, one of his messengers. And yet, here's the problem. The Bible tells us many, for some reason, won't listen. Why would they not listen? Why would they blow it off? Well, here it says they made light of it. They made light of it? I know this happens to me regularly. Uh, I live in a cul-de-sac. And all my neighbors I'm friends with and they say, Lisa and I coming to church all the time. And you know what they say? <laughs> there they go again. They're going to church again. And they make light of it. 
People hear you pray, they hear you whatever, and they make light of it, right? That's just what the world does. They make light of it. What are they doing that is so busy? Why are they too busy? Well, here, it gives us a little bit. Luke's gospel gives us a little bit more. Same story. Luke gives a little more detail. Let's look, see what Luke says on the same passage. Uh, this is Luke 14. Let me hear you read this out loud. He sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Same exact story, right? A little more detail here. Look at this, verse 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. I want to draw attention. One accord? This is the creator of the universe telling us this story. He's been watching it for thousands of years transpire with one accord. There's this common denominator that is across all humanity. Here's the stories I get, Jesus would say. Look what they say. The first said to him, read with me, I have bought a piece of ground. And I must and go I must go and see it. I ask that you have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I ask that you have me excused, right? What's happening? What's going on? What message does God hear over and over as he invites us to come to him? Here's what he hears. Sorry, I'm too busy. Wow. I'm too busy. Maybe later, God. I know I answered that way when, I was, uh, when God was calling me before I was a Christian. I was doing everything wrong, right? I mean, living in sin big time. I did it all wrong. I had sex before marriage. I lived with my wife before we got married. I did horrible things, right? I was all about money and greed and self and selfishness and you name it, right? I mean, and I, I sensed God was calling. And you know what I said? Later, I want to sin. And I thought I could be smarter than God. I'll kind of ignore that calling right now because I want to sin. I love sin. And I'll answer God's call, what? Later. And God says, hey, I know something about this. This is what I get all the time. And you can't trick God. One guy says, oh, I bought some land. I made a real estate deal. I'm investing in some real estate. The market's going crazy right now. And investing in real estate looked better than dining with God. Another guy says, hey, I got some new animals to plow, plow the field. Uh, we're expanding. I got a new, new machines. I got new employees. I got new stuff. Running my business looks more important to me than dining with God. Next guy says, I got a girl. She's smoking hot. It looks more better. It looks bit more better. It looks more better. <laughs> it looks better to me than dining with God. I got a guy. I got a girl. I'm all about that. Can't come. Can't come. Just too busy. The problem is really not God's lack of love for us. The problem is not God's lack of love. The problem is God loves us too much. 
We would like a casual relationship with God. I would like a vending machine God that just said, hey, God, if I need you, I'll pull the lever and you can deliver. How does that sound? That's the kind of God most people are looking for. God says, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that kind of relationship. I want an intimacy so close that I would relate it to a husband and a wife. I would relate it as a father and a son. I would relate it as my peculiar treasure above all treasures. And may I say, we are pretty peculiar, right? Pretty peculiar. God would relate it so intimate, using the choicest analogies that he could use to help us understand his great love for us. I don't want a casual relationship with you. I want an intimate relationship with you. The problem is not that God loves us. The problem is that God loves us too much. We would like a casual relationship. He will not take that. He will not allow it. And the problem is not God's lack of love towards us. The problem is our lack of love towards God. We're just busy pursuing other loves and we make excuses. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with working hard and working a 60-hour week to provide for your family. That is good. That is a great thing. Nothing wrong with developing real estate. That is smart. That is wise. That is a good thing. Nothing wrong with falling in love with a, with a man or with a woman. Uh, marriage is honorable in God's eyes. It's a great thing. Nothing wrong with it at all. Those are all really great things. But... God knows that those things aren't the reason that we're not seeking him. They're just excuses. And the truth is, when we're not doing that, it's because we love these things more than we love God. And God says, I do have a problem with that. Do you remember back when God gave Moses the commandments, the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, we're talking thousands of years ago. Do you remember uh, what the first commandment God gave was? The number one commandment, what was it? No, that's a paraphrase of that commandment. The actual commandment was, you shall what? Have no other gods before me. Paraphrase, you shall have no higher love than me. You shall have no greater passion than me. Don't put anything before me. That is how much God loves us. And again, the problem is not God not loving us enough. The problem is we don't really want that much love. I'd rather have a vending machine God, right? That's just how we are. Um, so again, nothing wrong with investing. Nothing wrong with having a career. Nothing wrong with having friends. Nothing wrong with having a marriage. Nothing wrong with all this. But we can't put anything above our relationship with Jesus. That's what God has a problem with. God wants us to respond to his great love for us. That we might understand how passionate he is for us. How much he loves us. And we might simply say this. Oh my gosh. If God loves me that much. That he would even give his own son. Uh, he would even become a man. And take the punishment of our sin upon his own back. He would do that to provide forgiveness freely for us. If he loves me that much. I want to know a God that loves me like that. I've never been loved that way. I promise you. You have never been loved by any human ever the way God loves you. And you've longed for it because you were created for it. And we've been trying to look for it in all these other things 
Nobody else can give it to you. Nothing else can give it to you. No matter how hard they try. Not because they don't want to. Because they don't love that way. It's not, they're sinful. It's not possible. And you were created with it for a reason. Because that's how much God loves you. And you can only find it in him. Which brings me to my next point. If our chief desire is anything other than God. If we say, oh, I can't right now because I got a real estate deal. I can't right now because I got a girl. I can't right now because I got a business. I can't. If our chief desire is not God, we simply do not know God. Do you understand? If our chief desire is not God, we simply do not know God. Because if you know him, oh my gosh, his love will transform you. His words will build you. It is incredible to come into the presence of the living God, your creator, who made you for himself. If we don't have God as our chief passion, we simply do not know him. Men, let me have your attention for a moment. Have you ever seen a woman so stunningly beautiful that you couldn't take your eyes off of her? even if you tried? Ladies, have you ever seen Brad Pitt? <laughs> Imagine he was at a restaurant and there you were sitting at the table. You'd be like, I know I'm not supposed to stare. You just can't help it. Have you ever heard someone speak and they were so eloquent? They were so profound in their knowledge of what they were speaking about that they captivated you. And you just couldn't turn away. May I tell you that is only a sliver. That is only a reflection. That is only a foreshadow of what it's going to be like when you stand before your God. When you stand before Jesus Christ. You will not be able to take your eyes off of him. His beauty is beyond staggering. When you hear him speak, oh, it moves you to the core of your being. I have been in dark and despairing situations where I was wondering how he's going to make it through and he'll speak a word to my heart and it's like, oh, I can breathe again. Hell can be collapsing all around me and his spirit comes upon me and I am whole. I can conquer anything. This is who he is. This is what he is calling us to. And if our chief desire is not Jesus, we simply do not know Jesus. And if we don't know Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? Here's what we do. We listen to him beckon us to call him, call us to himself. We open his word, which is his love story written to us. And we say, Jesus, I want to know you. If you really are true, if, you, if this is really true, if what he is saying is even half right, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, as I read your word, help me to understand your great love for me. And here's what happens. The Bible says this. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we just respond to his beckoning, he rewards us as we come to him. And if you say, Lord, I have a hard time loving those who I see. I don't know how to even love people that I, that I love. Uh, how do I love you who I can't see? Oh, we pray that prayer. Lord, help me. Oh, here's what happens. He will begin to work in our life.
He'll transform us from the inside out as we read his word. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. When was the last time you just got away, both you and God, and you just, how'd you do this week? Did you spend time in the word? Did you spend time? Isn't it interesting how easy it is for things to come even in between our human relations, our most important relationships. I know how easy it is for things to get in between me and my wife. And suddenly I'm, my work is more important than my wife or my kids are more important than my wife or my pickleball is more important than my wife. or what, It just happens, right? And I have to go, no, 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 baby. You want to go on a date? You want to go to City Tacos? And get some, City Tacos, by the way, the most amazing tacos in Encinitas. <laughs> you ought to go there. I went last night with my wife on a date. Uh, the Veracruz. Get the Veracruz. Anyway, I'm, I'm way off. <laughs> Easy for things to get in front of my wife. I have to make it a priority. Easy for things to get in between this divine romance that God has for us. Have you ever read the book of Solomon? Excuse me. Uh, the Song of Solomon? The Song of Solomon, it's a story about Jesus and his love for you. And it's set to the stage of this young, hot, teenage couple who just can't keep their hands off themselves. They're just waiting for their wedding day. And they just can't wait to be together. And here's what they would say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And there's this divine wooing as they're longing and waiting for the consummation of this wedding day. And it's a picture of Jesus' love for you that God has chosen to reveal through one of his messengers that we persecute. This divine romance. If, we, if our chief desire is not God, we simply don't know him. And we learn to know him by reading his word, by being in prayer and being in fellowship with each other. That's why we gather. That's why we're here. That's why we're worshiping. That's why we get in small groups. Because, oh, we're reminded of God's great love for us. May we abide in it. May we seek him. May we spend time with him. May we dine at his table. Not only did they make light of Jesus' invitation, look what it says they did. They persecuted his messengers. They seized them. They treated them spitefully. And they killed them. Very interesting. Uh, look at verse 7. When the king heard about this, he was furious. And he sent out his armies and he destroyed those murderers and he burned up their city. Interesting. Do you know what this is? Jesus puts a surprising twist in this story, a little plot twist that we would have never guessed. He's saying, listen, I've been calling the nation Israel for thousands of years and they continue to reject my story. And here he gives us, in verse 7, a little prophetic look at the nation Israel. We looked at it two weeks ago, or the week before our baptism. We looked at those two parables. Here's the continuation of the parable. Here's what he's saying. The kingdom is going to be cut off from the nation Israel. I'm going to use the Gentiles now as my vehicle to bring my message to my people. And look what he says. He's going to cut off. He's going to send his, uh, send out his armies and destroy those murderers and burned up their city. 
this was spoken three days before Jesus' crucifixion. Israel's going to be cut off, and now God will use the church. And it happened exactly as Jesus said. We know what happened, right? If you know history, you know what happened. What happened? Rome, what did they do? They turned against Israel, and they, they you know, just... Uh, uh, went to war with him. Vespasian was the Roman leader. His son Titus uh, and, and the Roman legions came and they besieged Israel. And they put a, they completely surrounded them. And for 143 days, no one could get in or out of Jerusalem. Couldn't get food, couldn't get water, couldn't get in or out. And they completely besieged that Rome did with armies all around. And you know what happened? 1.1 million Jews died. Most of them from starvation. Many others were killed. And then Jerusalem was burned to the ground under Nero. The temple was completely destroyed. It happened exactly as Jesus said. By the way, for you Bible scholars who just love interesting tidbits, uh, God does this frequently. It shows his sovereignty over all things. This didn't just happen. Notice verse 7, by the way. What does he say? And then he sent out what? What armies? His armies. Who destroyed uh, Rome? I mean, excuse me, gave you the answer. Who destroyed Jerusalem? Rome. And God calls them what? His armies, interesting. Rome was pretty wicked. Do you know what happens? The Bible says there's no authority that isn't appointed by God. Do you know what happens? When we turn away from God, God then gives us the leaders that we desire. And this is what the leaders that we desire do to us. Right now, America's capitulating. We have departed from the true and living God. And we're going after wickedness we are calling darkness light and we are calling light darkness and we are raising up for ourselves leaders that we have chosen and God says those leaders are my instrument and they're going to be your judgment you chose them again for you Bible scholars for you history majors for those of you who love to see God's sovereign hand uh, Jerusalem was destroyed once before for you Bible scholars when did that happen it happened under the Babylonian reign with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar burned Jerusalem to the ground. The date that that happened, by the way, was August 10th. And the day that the temple in Jerusalem under Rome was burnt to the ground was August 10th, 70 AD. Divine fingerprints showing it's his work. The temple burned to the ground. Israel scattered throughout the whole earth to save their lives. Mass genocide was happening. 1.1 million Jews murdered. Uh, and Israel scatters to, throughout all the nations. And God does something miraculous, doesn't he? For 2,000 years, Israel scattered until when? Until May 14, 1948. And what is God doing? God starts regathering his people. Right after the Holocaust, right after six million Jews were killed, when they are their very weakest, God says, I'll now make you a nation. 
because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And he calls the nation Israel back to their homeland. We just sang this song uh, of, yeah, there's a prophecy on this, Ezekiel's dry bones, right? Ezekiel goes, has this vision. He goes out in the wilderness. God tells him, and there's these just bleached white bones, uh, bones that have been in just dead for a long, long time. 2,000 years, prophetic message. These bones just dead. What does God tell Ezekiel to do? Ezekiel, preach to the bones. What? Preach to the bones. What? Preach to the bones. Okay. He preaches to the bones, and guess what happens? All the bones start coming together. You hear the rattling of bones. And they form a skeleton, a human skeleton. And there's no life in the skeleton. And God says, Ezekiel, preach to the skeleton. And he preaches to the skeleton. And what happens? Sinews and tendon and flesh. <laughs> Must have been a freaky. I mean, like, oh my gosh. And now there's a body and there's no life in the body. And God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel again, preach to the body. And he preaches. And what happens? Life enters in to that body. That body is a picture, those bones are a picture of Israel. God foretelling all this before Israel had even been kicked out of Jerusalem. God foretelling all this. Today, you know what we're seeing, 1948? You know what 1948 was? The gathering of the bones. Today, you know what we see? Now they're becoming a nation. The most affluent nation in tech, in, in uh Farming and I mean, just they're they're powerful. More Nobel Peace Prizes through the Jews and what's happening? They're becoming a body. There's still no spirit in them. There's still no life in them. Blindness has happened. Spiritual blindness has happened. This is Romans. Spiritual blindness has happened to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has comes in, and then all Israel will be saved. Zechariah 12. I will pour my spirit upon them and I will heal them, and their eyes will be opened, and then they will see me, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for his only son. They will say, where did you receive those wounds in your hands? And he will say, I received them in the house of my people. And they'll be born again. God is not done with Israel, but right now we see Jesus spoke. He gave us a prophetic look. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, when we get there in, in a few weeks to come, we're going to go into this in more detail. Uh, but it's happening right in our midst. And right now, Iran uh, bringing uh, uh, their, their nuclear uh, enriching uranium to the point they're now at 60% enrichment. To have weapons-grade uranium, you need to have it at 90% enrichment. The gap between 20% where they were and 60% is huge. The gap between 60 and 90%, scientists tells us, is very small. It's not that hard to make that difference. You know what President Biden is doing right now? Guess who he's aligning with? With Iran. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, said this week, tensions have never been higher between the United States and Israel. The trust has been broken. We are living in this time. It's time to get, keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, but I need to get off this or I could go too long on all this. Uh, uh, <clears throat> verse 7 is a prophetic look at Israel. Guess what verse 8 is? A phone call. 
Verse 8 is a prophetic look at the church. A prophetic look at Israel. Now a prophetic look at the church age. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Who was that? Israel. Why were they not worthy? Was it, were they too sinful? Were they too selfish? Were they too... Did they... Were they too greedy? Were they... No, no, no. That's not what makes us not worthy. What made them not worthy? They weren't willing to come to their Savior. Interesting. That's the only thing that makes us not worthy in God's eyes. He knows what a mess we are. It's like, how many, if you've had kids, how many of you had a two-year-old that just made a royal mess in their diaper? You don't clean them up because they're worthy. You clean them up because you're a parent and you're raising them. God understands the messes we make. I'm not saying they're okay, but that's just part of parenting. And, and, and we... Uh, uh, they're not, they're not worthy because they don't, they don't care. They don't believe. They don't want to come. Verse 9. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. By the way, this is Jesus' message to you, church. Go into the highways to everybody who has a mess in their pants and go tell them, come to the king who will clean you up. Come to the wedding feast he has prepared for you, right? So those servants went out into the highways and they gathered together. I want you to circle this word. What's this next word? They gathered together what? All. Jews, Gentiles, pagans, prostitutes, gamblers, alcoholics, people with scabies, people with diseases, people with AIDS, pe I mean, gather all. And when they found them, both bad and good, the wedding hall was filled with guests who were there to dine with God and to delight in their salvation. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Interesting. And he said to him, friend... How did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. In those days, on this kind of wedding, this is a royal wedding, you would come and you would travel far, you know, and you'd probably be sweaty and stinky when you got there. And when you got to the wedding, here's what happened. There'd be a servant there to wash your feet and to wash you up and to take off your stinky clothes, and to cleanse you completely, and to give you a royal garment for the wedding. It was part of the invitation. It was all provided for you. And he says, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Verse 13, and the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, Take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that a picture of? For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. Uh, some interesting things as we begin to wrap up. 
again, those who were invited, verse 8 says, were not worthy. It wasn't because they were too sinful. It wasn't because they were too dirty. It wasn't because they were too ugly. It wasn't because they were too mean. It wasn't because they were uh, too unintelligent, too uneducated. It was because they were too busy. They didn't care. And that's the thing that makes us unworthy. Jesus can handle our sin. That's why he went to the cross. We can never be too sinful for Jesus to forgive us. And we can never be too good to come to him on our own. Jesus just says, come, come as you are. I will clean you up. I will make you righteous. Notice verse 10 tells us that both good and bad came. They came to the wedding banquet right off the street. Can I tell you something? We are all pound puppies. There are no purebreds here. There are no, none here. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Greek on that passage is emphatic. All of us have sinned and are right now falling short of the glory of God. I am trying my hardest, but guess what I'm doing right now? Falling short of the glory of God. His message, far better than my message, right? Uh, even on my best day, at my best moment, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he has clothed, the, clothed us with righteousness to cover all of it. Amazing. What an amazing God. We are all pound puppies, man. And look what he does. He takes us in with all of our filth, with all of our mire, and he gives us the royal wedding garment. The, uh, he clothed, clothes us with it. Do you know what that is? What is the royal wedding garment that he gives them? What is it a picture of? It's a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The moment we come to him, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift to all who come and respond to the invitation. This is what he does. He covers all of our sin, all of our filth, all of our selfish greed, all of our immorality, all of our murder, all of it forgiven, and we are cleansed. This is our Savior. This is his great love for us. And may I tell you, he has been doing it for a man since day one. It's what he does. Clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, a prophet uh, to Israel who, who proclaimed this message 700 years before Jesus came. Look what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61. Let me hear you read this. I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Stop there. Isaiah saying, I am so happy. I will praise God. He's amazing. Isaiah, why are you so happy? Why are you so praising God? Why do you come and sing songs and raise your hands and just worship? Why do you drive in the car with a radio blaring saying how good God is? Why do you do that, Isaiah? Here's why. Read it with me. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Wow. And look, how the Im look at the imagery he gives us. Just as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and just as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I have done a lot of weddings. All of you girls, you come down that aisle and it's like, wow. It's spectacular. 
And just as a bride does that on her wedding day, Jesus says, this is what I do for all my people. I deck them out even more radiant than that. And Isaiah is just like in awe, right? He's just like in awe. And, and he says, hey, come, come. I'll clothe you in righteousness. And he does. And all the scrappers come. All the prostitutes, all the alcoholics, they come. And the wedding hall is filled with guests in royal righteousness. All their sins from, uh, forgiven. Righteousness imparted. And they're dining with God. I want you to know, when you come to Jesus, he doesn't just forgive your sin. That would be amazing enough. If that, I mean, that would be more than amazing. But he does more than that. He doesn't just forgive you of your sin. Do you know what he does? He makes it just as if you never sinned. Wow. He takes your sin and he separates it from you as far as the east is from the west. Which I don't know how far that must be really far. <laughs> In other words, it's completely removed. And then he clothes you with his perfection. Amazing. If Jesus isn't your master passion, you simply don't know Jesus, right? This is what he does for us. This is who he is. You've never been loved like this. The wedding uh, banquet is full and you find out this whole feast was for you. The Father has called. He sent out his messengers. And you are the bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. The whole feast is for you. And you're blown away. Oh my gosh. How amazing. The invitation stands. Do you want to come? Do you want to receive? Do you want to just come into all that God has for you? This is what he is beckoning. It's what I'm beckoning. But there's another crazy plot twist. Did you notice it? There's another crazy plot twist in this story. Just amazingly profound how he tells it. A crazy plot twist. None of us would have guessed. There's a guest there without a gown. What the heck does that mean? How did you get in here? The story goes. Were not gowns freely available for you? Oh, yes, yes, they were. Weren't you offered a gown when you came in? Yes, yes, I was. Didn't they offer to wash you and to cleanse you and to clothe you in righteousness? Yes, yes, they did. Why, weren't, why aren't you wearing the gown? Well, these, it's because, uh, 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 it's because these are designer jeans. And I really like them. And these are Prada shoes. Shoes? Prada? I don't know. These are Gucci shoes. I don't know. And this is a Gucci shirt and a Gucci glasses and a Gucci bag or whatever. I, I, I don't know whatever the names are. You know. Uh, I like my own clothing better. And I see the wisdom of Jesus throwing this plot twist into the story because I've been a pastor for a while now and here's what I know. There are those who are invited to his banquet and what a banquet it is. We feed on the rich word of God and it's a profound meal. And then we come and we have this fellowship with the best people. I mean, I just love being in fellowship with you. You guys are amazing. I've never been loved. I mean, you guys are just amazing to be with. 
And there's great values here. And so we come to it and we, we have the values and we have the word and we have the fellowship and we have the meals and we have the experience. And here we are. We have the, the worship and all of it. But, but no, I'm, I'm good in my own clothes. Do you know what that's a picture of? It's being clothed in your own righteousness. I think my designer jeans are good enough. I think my is good enough. And there's some here today wearing their own righteousness. And that's a scary place to be. Because even though it makes sense right now, when you stand before the true and you look good compared to clothes, you know, you just look better than everybody else. You just do, right? You're just, you're better than everybody else. You're probably better than 95% of the people on earth. Great. When you stand before a holy God, you will be clothed in unrighteousness in comparison. And there's no hope for you at that point. It's outer darkness. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because you rejected the royal garment of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was given to you freely if you would receive it. And you said, no, thank you. I like my righteousness better. My righteousness, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to do good. I'm going to shape up. I'm going to do better. All right, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Hard way to go. We learned something from this. The robe of self-righteousness is unacceptable attire in God's presence. And the Bible tells us this repeatedly. All of our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags when you stand in the presence of a holy God. We must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ to stand in God's presence. Have you ever been dressed inappropriately for a party? How fun is that? Isn't that fun? You know, you go there and I'm in shorts and flip-flops and I get there and everyone's wearing a coat and a tie. Oh, that's really fun. You ever been there? You ever done it? I've done it way too many times. I seem to be really good at that, by the way. And when you get there, everyone says, that's okay. And you say, no, it's not, right? It doesn't matter. And you say, yes, it does. I want you to know that pales compared to what it's going to be like on that day when you stand before the creator who tried to save you time and time again and give you righteousness as a free gift and you said no. So important. We see the profound wisdom of Jesus in this. We do not want to stand before him in our own righteousness. And that's what Israel was doing. Do you know why Israel didn't, didn't receive Jesus as their savior? Because they didn't think they needed to be saved. They thought they were righteous enough. And here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Uh, look at this. This is speaking directly in context. Romans chapter 10 is all about Israel. Uh, and read this with me. So the they is Israel in Romans chapter 10. Read it with me. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Some of you need to have the fear of God brought into your life today because you go to church as part of being a, just a good person. It's just a good club. 
There's family values. There's good people. There's good things. I like it. I do it on Sunday. Hey. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble. And I would not want to be you when you show up for that wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, you're going to be horribly broken. Uh, Galatians, this is written to the church, not to Israel. Look what, uh, same thing happens in the church. Look what he says. Uh, read it with me. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You've been estranged from your Savior. You've been estranged from righteousness as a free gift. You who attempt to be justified by your own actions, by keeping rules, by being a good person, you have become estranged from Christ. You have fallen from grace. We, on the other hand, eagerly wait for the righteousness that comes by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. Freely given to all. I'm going to ask the team to come back up and to close us in song. I want to ask this morning, are there any here that need to be clothed with the royal robe of righteousness? The invitation has gone out yet again. Do not spurn him. Do not turn a deaf ear to him. If you need the robe of righteousness, do not put it off. Let Jesus provide it for you right now. He gives it freely to all who call upon him. But we must respond to his invitation. This whole parable teaches us that we must respond to his invitation. Do you know why? Because love only wants a genuine response. Forced love is not love at all. And even though your creator is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he will not force you to love him back. He's looking for a response from you. And now you will respond one way or the other. The invitation is open. It's interesting that Jesus finishes this parable with a major plot twist and then throws another one right at the end when he says, many are called and what? Few answer the call. The Greek is probably more emphatic to, to, to translate it this way. All are called, but few answer the call. If the Lord is calling you right now, if you have it on your heart, I just want to ask you to bow your heads. I just want to ask you to be in prayer. Uh, if it is on your heart right now, Lord, I need to make a decision. I have been one of those who's been coming. This has been, you know, I, I come to church. I like the values, I, but I'm still trying to wear my own righteousness. I'm always trying to make myself look good. I'm always trying to impress. I realize I'm still trying to clothe myself in my own righteousness. Jesus, please forgive me. I need to be clothed in your righteousness. I need you to save me. I need you to wash me. I need you to robe me in your righteousness. If that is your desire this morning, if you want to get right with Jesus right now, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to be made just as if you never sinned, if you want to have the fullness of God's Spirit entering into you, leading, guiding, directing you into all truth, I want to give you an opportunity right now just between you and God to bring your heart before Him and say, Lord, I hear the invitation to the banquet and I want to come. I want to respond. Raise your hand to the Lord right now if that's your heart. 
you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. Thank you.